You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar. I've got Jason Foster of Sinozur on the show today for another one of those hot seat interviews. Jason's a, a brilliant guy, started up a firm in the big data space, um, and is really starting to get a lot of traction in, in a number of different markets. But he's got a, a very typical kind of challenge here in that they're really, really smart. They have strong capabilities at the firm, and they're not really sure which way to go next because there's so many opportunities. And they operate in a space where if you've got a lot of data, then they can help you. But a lot of different companies have a lot of data, a lot of industries, a lot of verticals. So it's not entirely clear where they should focus. So we get into the nitty gritty details of where Sinozur should focus their efforts, how they should divide up the market, uh, who they should target first, and how they can build a marketing funnel that'll turn strangers into really qualified leads for their services. Show notes for this episode are at forecast.fm slash Sinozur. That's forecast.fm slash C-Y-N-O-Z-U-R-E. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms, you're going to want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a step-by-step framework that you can use to generate a flood of new business for your firm. It's 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Here's Jason. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to be part of the show. Thanks. Another brave soul jumping on the hot seat. It's always good to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting to be part of this and uh, hopefully get some good insight from you. I hope so. So why don't you kick this off for us, Jason, by telling us a little bit about yourself and about your business? Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, I'm Jason and um, I run a, a business called Synergure here in the UK. Um, we're a data and analytics strategy consultancy um, professional services business, and um, we our aim is to help organisations figure out how they identify where value exists within their data, and we help them go on the journey from identifying where they can get that value from and how they go about doing it, and ultimately executing against that. Um, yeah, can you describe the clients that you typically work with? Uh, yeah, we um, we work uh, across lots of different sectors. Um, uh, any any business with a uh, a customer, so sort of B two C organisations, um, typically sit on a whole load of data um, and typically therefore can get um, lots of value from that data. Um, so that's retailers, um, that's um, uh, hospitality businesses, that's entertainment and media businesses. Um, and, um, but also, um, there's sort of B to B organizations where, you know, moving, um, uh, products around in between, you know, sort of distribution or supply chain, the sort of back end, um, part of the sort of the retail supply chain, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, the, the proposition that we have works across multiple sectors and, and personally we have, you know, within the business, we have experience across banking and, um, insurance and um, uh, telcos and, and all sorts of uh, private sector, but also public sector businesses, sort of local and central government um, as well. And what's the typical size of a company to to be able to leverage, you know, insights from their data? How big do they have to be? Uh, well, what we're finding, um, interestingly, is that um, is that organisations of all sizes. Um, have the the ability and capacity to be able to to do some really good stuff in this place and actually a lot of the uh, we do some work with startups and 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 they actually have using dna uh, using data in their dna um and and therefore sort of from day one of of constructing their business they're able to um they're looking at ways to be able to um use data and metrics insight understand consumer behavior in a way that that, that wasn't possible number of years back and and they build their company from the ground up from that perspective all the way to sort of large corporate um uh enterprises who 
are looking at ways to grab hold of all this data that they've been collecting, uh, either very purposefully or or just through the nature of sort of delivering their business um, and looking at ways to con- construct and bring that data together to really sort of put it at the heart of their of their of their business to drive their decision making. So it does span across all organisations. Um, we 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 we're trying to sort of um, find organisations that have a real desire and passion to do something in this space, um, and are just looking for the way to sort of get started. Um, you know, correct the direction that they're going in, um, or, or focus on the right the right outcomes. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. Is is there like a certain type of organization or profile, whether that's some combination of demographics or psychographics, that uh, is, you know, what we would call an ideal client in the sense that it's the easiest sell. They're 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 just as motivated as you are, but on the buyer side, and you're able to extract the most value for them. What does that organization look like? Um, I, I guess it tends to be an organization, as I say, that, that has the desire and, and understands that there's something they can do here, but they don't necessarily know the steps they need to take in order to do it. So sort of quite a pragmatic um, look and feel, if you like. You know, um, A number of years back, people weren't necessarily even aware that there was such power in their data. And a lot of the time it was about talking about like convincing organizations that there was that, that value and then helping them to sort of go through the journey. Now there's a whole load of organizations that are like, we know there's something here. We just don't really get um, uh, where to start, who to recruit, what organizational structure I need, what technology I should look at, what use cases I should go after. So that sort of organization and um, and or, or person in role who's responsible for, for going on that journey is sort of typically who we go after. So it's not necessarily one sort of horizontal or vertical that we're, we're looking for, but it's it's really that that organization that, that has a, um, a need and a desire to do something and needs that sort of direction. Right. So they know that there's something there. There's, there's gems hiding in the data and they need someone's help to come in and discover what those gems are. Who is that person in the organization that's making that decision? Um, it's a, it's a bit of a mix. There's, um, a lot of the time this comes from a marketing, um, part of the organization, a CMO or a head of customer or customer services, something like that. Um, and, and typically that's in sort of your, your B2C type organizations where, where understanding consumer behavior is, is the most important thing. And therefore that tends to sit in a marketing type function. Um, but often it can be uh, through the finance department, um, who, who who often own sort of metrics and data and reporting within a business. Sometimes they sort of bubble up to be um, the uh, the sort of the the, the driver for, for getting a handle on data. Um, more recently, digital sort of play that role um, in in bringing data to the heart of the organisation. Um, so again, it can be a bit of a mix, um, and there's a, there's a sort of a new role, relatively new role that is emerging out of this space called the chief data officer. Um, and, and often that's a a good, a good sort of indicator that an organization has the desire to do something that they're putting a sort of senior person in post to sort of lead the journey. And, and we, we can support, do support, um, chief data officers in, in constructing a strategy and going on the journey, or if an organization doesn't have one, um, we can play that role for them. Which works out better for you if they have a chief data officer or not? Really, really good question. I um, interestingly, um, it's where they they don't, um, and that's and that's because um, chief data officers have got to that position because they know what they're doing. They know what they need to do. They know how to play the. Um, uh, the, the, I guess the politics of an organization, they know how to create a network internally. They know the kind of skills they need. So they tend to be able to accelerate the journey, um, themselves about that sort of, um, uh, council, I guess, whereas, um, um, uh, organizations that don't have that, as I say, have the desire, but don't necessarily have the, um, knowledge about how to execute on that desire. Yeah. It may be a completely different positioning strategy, right? So without a CDO, you are, you're the you're the CDO for hire, essentially your firm. With a CDO, exactly. you'd have to position yourself as some kind of a support external arm to the CDO, but you wouldn't be doing the work that a CDO would typically do because then that would be redundant. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, so often if an organization has that lead, it's um it's either a critical friend to that person to have some counsel in the sorts of things that they're looking to or thinking about doing to bounce ideas off, 
or it's simply to help accelerate the journey. You know, they need more strategists, they need more analysts, they need more data expertise. And it's about accelerating the journey or they don't have the bandwidth, don't have the time to recruit the team. Um, so, yeah, it's slightly different positioning where there's a mature data organization already in place versus a organization that doesn't have that data capability. Got it. And what do your engagements typically look like? Um, we, um, we lead with a, a strategy message. So, um, often we, um, come into an organization to help, um, either shape a, a data and analytics strategy from scratch or help to review a strategy that's been written or that has been, you know, being implemented for a while and help to correct it or course correct it. Some of our clients call it, um, so, so we tend to come in to help understand and shape a, a strategic direction for how data can be used and what things need to be put in place. Um, and what we're finding is through that um, discussion and that engagement that is at a sort of senior level, that then you need to execute on that strategy. You need to go and design something or build something. So, so often we then tend to start to look at how else can we support um, that organization to, to meet the strategy that's been set. Now, between the strategy and the execution, which of those engagements would you say is kind of your bread and butter? Um, they they both are. Um, the uh, the strategy work, I guess, is is more high value and management consulting type work. So um, it's where we can really build sort of trust and relationship with our clients and help lead um, a, a sort of a higher level thing for a company. Um, the, the sort of the execution, which tends to be um, technical or solution build, shall I say, um, technical delivery work. There are a whole load of organisations on the market that you um, that you could go and choose depending on the technology you're using or the or the the, the vertical that you're in or something like that. But from a in the strategy space, um, and uh, 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 there's sort of less people who are um, supporting organisations, um, and it's the area that we we've crafted a a bit of a space for ourselves. So how have you differentiated yourself on that strategy piece? Um, a few ways. Um, one is that we, the, the, the people within our organization that do the strategic um, work, the strategy work, the advisory work, um, are ex-practitioners. So we, 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 we are people who have been there and done it in industry. We've been through the kinds of challenges that we talk to our customers um, about them having. Um, and we've sort of got over those challenges and we've implemented successful data analytics strategy you know, in industry, in, in large corporate businesses and, um, and in other organizations as well. So we, we, we differentiate by being people that have been there, done it, have the scars, have the stories and know some of the challenges that are coming down the road um, and can help organization either avoid them or, or overcome them if they do hit them. So forgive my ignorance, but I would imagine anybody in this business is an ex-practitioner. Is that not the case? Uh, no, not always. Uh, what, what we're finding is that um, particularly with our, some of our um, sort of large um, consulting competition, um, some of the, the, the sort of the more established players in this space that have been around for a lot longer, um, a lot of the people you get are people that have come up through the ranks of consulting. They've only done consulting. They don't have the necessarily the breadth of, uh, or sorry, the depth of experience um, as a um, in-house industry um, employed person. Um, so often it's it's the consulting handbook that you're being given rather than genuine depth of knowledge and understanding about the thing that they're the organisation is trying to do. And and we often get told during sort of um, early um, you know engagements before you know we've been we've been brought on that it's refreshing to hear someone that genuinely has the depth and, and knowledge and understanding of what they're trying to do rather than just you know the the thing that you can read in a blog or the thing that you can read online um, and and that's that there there isn't as many of those around. Yeah, right. That makes sense. And I would imagine a lot of the the, the smaller firms are probably ex big consulting folks who, again, have only had that consulting experience. P potentially, yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and often what some of the sort of the the um, some other consulting firms do is sort of bring in and or subcontract um, uh, other other specialist firms. So if you have a generalist consulting firm going in and they do, you know, they do data, but they also do 
business process outsourcing and they do finance outsourcing and they do technology implementation hosting you know they're generalists but they want to do data and analytics they often bring in a, a, a subcontract company to do the to do the work um, around data analytics so if you're talking to them in that capacity they just don't have the experience yes the the company has the reference but the people that they have don't have the experience in doing it so what we bring is both the experience in doing it um, as Synergy or the company, but also previous experience at doing it for um, you know similar organisations. Uh, as I say, as a as a practitioner on the inside, have you pursued any of these subcontracting arrangements with the big firms? Um, we um, not not no actually. Uh, we have partnerships in place with um, organisations that we um, that we feel are complementary to our are offering and there's sort of enough of an overlap that it makes sense to sort of partner but um we we haven't looked at any sort of subcontracting arrangements now okay okay and that, that's a good that's a good kind of overview uh, i have a better sense of now what's going on and, and what you're doing could you just kind of frame up for us now what are the challenges so we so we set the business up um uh, the start of last year, so sort of basically January first, twenty sixteen. Um, that was sort of ideation phase, figuring out what slice of message in this space in this sort of fairly crowded market um, would would resonate, would would give us our USP, would give us an opportunity to uh, have a conversation in companies. And so last year was about sort of putting a platform in place and to 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 get into organisations and to help um, help organisations on this journey. And we had a great year. Um, this year is is much more about sort of scaling that up um, and 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 accelerating the journey. So some of the sort of things we're focusing on to, to help us do that is to put the right systems and processes in place for us to uh, market ourselves effectively and ensure that we can scale um, and that it and that we don't we're not always sort of chasing our tails if you like from a uh, as as we continue to scale. Um, we, we we're looking to sort of identify and find the right audience um, to talk to and find them in the right place, um, and and build a sort of a process for generating demand for our services through our our expertise and our knowledge and the work that we've done before um, that really resonates with people. So that's sort of where where we're sort of focusing. And I guess the challenges we've got um, are we are scaling rapidly we've had amazing growth um this year already um and this year's um you know from an from from where i wanted the organization to be and where we will be is is poles apart in the positive um so one of the biggest challenges is how do we i guess keep up with that growth how do we how do we maintain that growth how do we create a pipeline and a and a, and a um a system behind this growth that means that this year doesn't just become a great second year that was a bit of a spike and then we have to start again in you know in year three um i'd say that that's probably like my key challenge and the thing that keeps me awake uh, at night um is how do we how do we um keep up with ourselves i guess um that would that would be the prime one i'd say okay great let's so let's peel that layer by layer first thing yeah. i'll ask you is what's worked so far from a marketing perspective um, building, um, a, a, a network of people that we know and trust and, and help each other out, I would say. So, um, and, and what I mean by that is, is partners and relationships that drive referrals and recommendations. So most of the business that we've got has been through, um, through uh, a, a referral from some, either an individual or a business that we have a good relationship with. Um, that's driven most of the growth so far. And w give me an example. What's a typical profile of one of these referral partners? Um, most most of them are people who are at a relative um, stage of maturity. So other organizations in this space that do something slightly different but overlaps enough that we're in and around a similar set of organizations that we all jointly want to be having discussions with. And in a nice sort of symbiotic way, we share knowledge about what's happening and and it's not always right for you as the organization to be positioning yourself in there but actually it's the right time for one of our friends one of our partners to be positioned in there because that's where the organization you know the, the end customer end customer is so so partners who who 
are being most successful and, and relationships that are being most successful are ones that are of similar um, stage in their maturity as a business. So um, companies that are um, of a similar size and shape, if you like, um, that tends to be uh, tends to be what's worked really well. So, it- so that and that could be that could be other services businesses, that could be technology businesses, um, that could be other consulting businesses. You know, the 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 type is is varied. So it's essentially you're building your your tribe of uh, complementary organizations and firms that are working with similar customers but doing slightly different things. It, exactly, yeah, and it it gives us you know it gives us reach um, beyond our capacity to 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 talk to organizations if you like. It gives us an extended sales team if you can call it that. Um, that 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 works, yeah, that sort of works both ways. So we're looking out for each other. And and how many of these relationships, whether it's informal or formal, would you say that you have right now? Uh, probably five or six um, formal ones, I'd say. So five or six where we've got a sort of a stated partnership and we we both work hard at that relationship. Um, and then there's a whole number of other individuals and relationships that just that we've built up over the years um, that um, that, that, that bring, you know, that we, we continue to talk to each other, but I'd say sort of five or six ones that we really focus our, our attention and efforts on. And are, are you seeing more opportunities there for, for, for more relationships or do you think that's kind of, you're kind of tapping out? It, yeah. I mean, I, you know, maybe this is one for, for us to talk about. I mean, one of the, one of the key things for us is how do we make sure that our partners and our friends sort of keep up to date with about what we're doing and about our proposition, about where we want to be heading and the work that we've done, the sort of one side. And the other side is there's, there's a lot of work that goes into those relationships um, or those partnerships, I should say, to build the relationship. And my view is that the more you have, um, it sort of gets harder to build those really nice, close, trusted relationships that mean um, you, you sort of you sort of partner well together. So I, I don't really want to build. It's a bit of a difficult conundrum because I don't really want to build a partner ecosystem so big that um, that we can't have really quality relationships. But equally, we know that it's a really good referral and, and route to market. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair concern. I think the way you want to look at this is in the same way that you have a a customer funnel, which I want to talk about in a bit. Uh, you want to have a referral funnel as well or a relationship funnel, if you want to call it that. So, yeah, you certainly don't want to go in, you know, head first in every relationship and, and pour all kinds of time and energy into it because you don't know if it's worth it. But you want to have a funnel that will allow you to test the waters in a relationship in a really small and uh, kind of low risk way. And then the relationships that may be worthy of pursuing at deeper levels, then they kind of follow through a certain flow and you have a process. So, for example, you know, a really rudimentary process might be something like you initiate contact via LinkedIn and you schedule a phone call. You have that initial phone call, learn more about what they do. They learn more about what you do. And if it makes sense, you meet in person. From there, maybe you have like a – and I'm just – these are examples. But but maybe you have like a, um, a co-branded content exercise where you co-brand a webinar. If there is some kind of overlap and, and you guys can work together on something – and you co-brand a webinar or a white paper or some piece of content, uh, and you share that with both of your respective customers. So it's kind of an easier way to begin the referral relationship. And you might want to try this with your existing referral partners as well. Um, yep. And then and if that goes really well, then you have a more of an in-depth conversation around, okay, well, how can we work together? But either way, you have these various stages of of a relationship, and you know you only invest when it makes sense to pursue the next stage. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Given that example, what do you think that kind of relationship funnel might look like for you? Um, well, what you explained there actually isn't too dissimilar from uh, from what we we have in place. I mean, it, it's not really a stated process like that, but that's just sort of how they've they've come about. Um, and we're doing some uh, co-branded marketing with um, with some of our partners that we've got better, you know, deeper relationships with. Um, uh, that's either, um, you know, a breakfast briefing for, for, for some, for people or a, or a webinar or a, um, we've done some white paper work that we've pushed out through some partner channels. Um, so we've done some of that already. Um, and, um, and some of those are stated partnerships, you know, where we've got drawn up partnership agreements and some of those are more just a relationship thing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a set of steps to sort of get to know organizations, um, 
that that's that's fairly in line with how we've been doing things. I guess the the challenge that I'm thinking is how do we um, uh, have the right number and mix of those partnership organisations, and how do we invest the right amount of time and energy in the ones that we think we can make work, and make sure that you know we continue to to build and grow the relationship. And yeah, and, and, just sort of die out. and I think your approach is good. I think less less is more, right? So you only want to have a small handful of those really core organizations because you can't be building relationships with 20 referral partners at this stage anyways, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I think that exactly. makes sense. But you also want to have a pipeline of potential relationships because, you know, maybe there are some out there who would who, would be, who are a better fit for for a referral partner right now than some of the organizations that you're working with. So you don't want to limit yourself just because of what you have in front of you. You want to be actively exploring what else is out there because there might be some better options. True. Really good point. So what we haven't done um, is, is identify other, other types of organization that we should partner with or actual names of organizations that we should partner with, with and actively gone and, and explored those. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely something that we should we should look to do. And and I would think there's a few different categories of organizations that I'm sure you've looked at. But on the one hand, you have other other firms who are offering a complementary service, like we talked about. Uh, you might have associations of professionals. So maybe you have a you know marketing associations for CMOs, things like that, mm-hmm. um, or any other kind of. I'm just thinking about industry specific stuff. So you might have a retail association or a telecom or a banking association. Um, that you could, you know, you could do some kind of an event with or a webinar or, you know, because they, they're not going to have the data, the data insight, but you have the insight that can create value for their, their audience and their, 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 um, their constituents rather. And yep. so you kind of, you develop a, a relationship that way. Uh, are, have you explored some of those relationships at all? Um, no, no, I think that's, that's the point. I think, I don't think we've taken a step back and gone, right, what, where do we have gaps in the kinds of companies that we've got partnerships with and would any of those be more effective than any of the ones that we have we, we definitely haven't done that and um, i mean we have looked having said that we have looked at um um taking our message through um uh, uh, so certain verticals certain industries like a marketing event or a retail event but we haven't looked at partnering with um organizations that are in those space uh, those spaces yeah, and it might it might start with an event or a uh, you know a speech at one of their gatherings. It might start with something simple like that. Yeah, and then you never know where it might go from there. But yeah, I think associations is an interesting one to look at because they're definitely not competitors, and they tend to be quite large, and and they have mm-hmm. the, you know they have an audience of people that you want to be talking to. Um, so that you know that could lead to speaking engagements, that could lead to um, you know keynotes, that could lead to all kinds of interesting opportunities. Yeah, sounds great. Now, the second point that you mentioned is we need to get clear on who we're talking to. What did you mean by that? Um, so uh, right up front, actually, you, you asked about who's our sort of target audience. And I, I gave a fairly sort of long, long answer about there's lots of different organizations. And I'm I'm sort of acutely aware that, to, to, um, that one approach is to define a target audience, at least for a certain marketing activity even if it's not for the whole business but marketing activity at a certain audience um so so picking an audience whether that's a vertical you know a banking or insurance or retail or you know supply chain or whether that's a some sort of vertical uh, sorry horizontal so marketing or finance um department or something or whether it's a very specific set of roles that we want to sort of help and support we 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 um, we we want to look to um, from a uh, content or a marketing activity or business development activity perspective to to find the right audience and talk to them in the right way. And and so what's what's your thought process there? I mean, it sounds like you haven't really dialed it in at at either of those levels yet. Is is there a reason for that? Is there a challenge there? Um, we have been busy, um, building relationships and winning business in where those relationships, um, make sense, um, to sort of go, go and hunt if you like. So it's been, as I say, cause a lot of our work has been referral, um, and, and we referred business in a space that we have background, a background in. So it's sort of as, as self-selected, if you like the, the industry based on our experience. So it's not completely random. But we we haven't needed to yet. Um, we, you know, we've got some really good growth out of this route. But but to sort of focus our message, um, um, that's where I mean. Sort of, we want to 
um, a target, a, a specific audience. So it's not that we don't know who it is or that it's just more that we haven't yet done that or needed to do that as a, as a sort of a marketing activity. So, so you mentioned a number of industries uh, earlier on in the conversation. Yeah. When you say we tend to be getting business in the industries that we have experience in, so it's self-selective in that, res- in that respect, which, which ones are the big, you know, what are the big two or three? Um, it's, it's ones, as I talked about sort of the, uh, B2C. So, um, uh, anyone selling something to an end consumer, I guess. So, um, and, and we have, we have a charity, uh, we have, um, uh, music entertainment business, we have a hospitality business. So it's, it's that, that area we haven't refined down on say just retail or something like that. Um, but it, it tends to be, um, organizations that have an end customer ra- rather than rather than B2B, although we do have some of those customers as well. And there's is there a typical role in the organization? Is it, is it typically marketing? Um, it has been, yeah. So in the B2C um, businesses, it tends to be marketing or, or someone in charge of customer, which is sort of, a, I guess, another way of talking about marketing. Okay. So here's where I want to go with this. I, I think what's what's really needed here is we need to map out a funnel or a demand gen process, as you called it, uh, potato, potato, but <laughs> a, a, a process uh, a process through which we're going to be able to uh, attract more prospective customers, engage them in a conversation, and ultimately be able to close them into clients. Um, what I'm seeing here is, you know, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like it might be a little bit premature to really dive specifically into a uh, into an industry or a vertical. Um, I think B2C, uh, it, it makes sense. I think marketing makes sense as a buyer, um, but then keeping it open to all the different, you know, sub-industries within B2C, like retail, you know, music entertainment, hospitality. I think keeping it open-ended right now seems to be the, the best approach. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that that certainly that certainly works because the the it, we are a, a, a horizontal play, if you like. You know, this 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 works and um, uh, cr- the cross industry um, sharing. So so we share share knowledge and skills from say retail into you know a non retail business, and and those messages sort of resonate. So so we quite like the ability to sort of bring new ideas and disrupt thinking in. Uh, industries by bringing experience from other industries. So yeah, it makes sense for for us from a strategy point of view. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a big benefit of taking this kind of positioning is that 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 cross pollination of ideas. The, yep. the challenge though is, can you speak to the 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 needs and the problems of a CMO at all of these different organizations in in kind of one you know one piece of content one message? Um. Uh, can we speak? Um. I think I think ah, with the right message, yeah, that's a, I suppose fairly obvious. But um, yeah, I mean the the challenges for a CMO tend to be fairly typical in 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 all organisations, um, and the opportunity equally um, is. I think the size of the opportunity changes depending on which company you're talking to and the size and the scale um, and success they've had. Um, but yeah, I think I think. A, a role level, there's a there's a common set of um, challenges and opportunities that you can talk to um, the CMO about. Yeah, yeah. No, so I think definitely from a messaging perspective, f- focusing in on the CMO and getting really crystal clear about about their needs and their challenges and their desired outcomes makes a lot of sense. Um, could you just speak a little bit about uh, what are those outcomes for the CMO? Like, if you come in. You do the work. You do your best work. What do you leave behind? What does the CMO help? You know, what does he achieve through through this engagement? Um, from a uh, um, values outcome perspective, I guess um, it's normally in the space of understanding customers better, their customers better, um, in order to um, create sort of brand engagement, um, create better loyalty. Um, uh, and and that's done through better um, targeting of their either content or their products or their prices or their offering, um, and and driving better sort of retention of their customer base. So it's in understanding customers, so customer insight, and then plugging that into their marketing efforts to to drive brand engagement, repeat business, loyalty, um, and those sorts of things. And what, what what and we support them through 
um, the thinking about how they do that from a data and analytics perspective. So what we want to leave them with is a, a clear um, understanding about which which of the marketing problems, if you like, can most effectively be um, supported with data and analytics, um, a clear understanding of the strategy and the approach for getting there from a business perspective and a technology perspective, and an, a clear understanding of the people, um, roles, ways of working, um, and, and sort of modus operandi, if you like, on a day-to-day basis of how they need to perform uh, as a business and continue to test, learn, and iterate the things that help them to drive the outcomes. So we, we help with the thinking, we help with the um, uh, designing, and we help with the execution in order to meet those sort of business outcomes that I talked about. Okay. Let's get down to brass tacks. I, I'm going to propose a funnel. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to go out and get, I'm going to give you a funnel. <laughs> and, um, and it's, you know, I want you to pay attention to the principles here, not necessarily the, spe- the, the specific tactics, but tell me what you think. Okay. okay. Yeah. So three level funnel, right? Let's take a basic framework, um, attraction, retention, conversion. So attractions, the top of the funnel, retentions, the middle of the funnel, conversions, the bottom of the funnel. And I'm looking at this more from a marketing perspective. So when I say conversion, I don't mean client. I mean like a, an active sales conversation, right? And then you'd have okay. a that process that would, would uh, ensue from there. So in, uh, in, at the attraction stage, I think for somebody like you, where you are a, a demonstrated proven thought leader in the space and you're being recognized for that, um, the most powerful attraction piece that I've seen work is a white paper. Okay. Okay. Some kind of white paper where... You know, you're really flexing your muscles now, right? And you're you don't have to call it a white paper. That's like that's not the point. But a, a thought leadership piece where you're really flexing your muscles from an expertise perspective, uh, but you're applying that in a way that solves a specific problem for a specific person. So, for example, in our case of the CMO at a uh, you know at a B two C organization, maybe maybe you tackle the topic of understanding consumer behavior, right? How to use data and analytics to extract. Um, uh, insights on cons- consumer behavior and help you sell more of your product, right? Yeah. Um, I think you'd have to necessarily pick like one specific thing. So consumer behavior or brand engagement and loyalty, like I, you probably can't cover everything in one white paper, um, but you could sequentially uh, over time cover all of them. So maybe, you know, one example might be you you do like a, a white paper every quarter, right? First you tackle uh consumer behavior, then you tackle brand engagement and loyalty, and then something else. And over the course of a year, two years, you have a a whole library of white papers now tackling each of these specific business problems and objectives that the CMO has. Okay. Okay. And then you build a little funnel around each of them. So from the white paper, first of all, everyone doesn't read white papers (laughs) as much as, as much as it looks interesting to them and they may download it. Very few people actually read an entire white paper. They may skim it, scan it, see if there's anything particularly of interest or value. And then if it, if it does look interesting, leave it on their desktop or in their inbox and say, I'll come back to it. But unfortunately, usually coming back to it never happens. So what you want to do then is middle of the funnel now retention. So at this stage, you know, you're on their radar. They've downloaded the white paper, right? They kind of know who you are and what you do and, and, and where your expertise is, but it ends there, right? At the retention stage, I think one of the best ways to really strengthen and deepen that relationship is through some kind of a webinar. Um, and and that can vary in terms of format and length. I mean, I'm seeing webinars right now working that are as short as 15 minutes and as long as 60 minutes. Um, I think with executives, it's, it's always good to keep it shorter. So the 15 minute webinar, um, which you wouldn't call a webinar, you can call it a 15 minute executive brief or a 15 minute CMO brief in your case, uh, you know, keeping it really short and sweet. Uh, and getting really clear on what you're going to get in this 15 minutes or 30 minutes um, is really important for for the buyers that you're targeting. But in that webinar, you could do a couple of things. Um, you could you could share some of the the key insights from the white paper, so position it a little bit differently, but share a lot of the same ideas that are in the white paper because a 15 minute webinar is easier for me to consume information on than a 20 page white paper. Right. Um, and it yep. also reinforces the value in the white paper. So you can remind people that you've got this already. If you don't have it, here's a link again. Um, and there's details here. But I wanted to give you a high level overview of, of what's contained in the white paper and how you can use the ideas. Uh, you could also share a process. So this is something that I'm seeing working quite well for for firms that are of your profile, deep expertise in an area that folks can't really replicate themselves internally unless they have that CDO. 
right? So what you could do is just share a process for a marketing leader. If you want to extract the kind of insights we talk about in the white paper from your data, here's the process. And you share that process in a way that's accessible, certainly, to the marketing leader. So you assume that they don't have a lot of background in data. Um, and, and you share some of the challenges in going through the process. And then at the end, you say, look, this is a lot of work and it requires expertise. We tried to kind of distill it down for you into some practical steps. But if you need help, that's why we're here. This is what we do. Give us a call. And that's your call mm -hmm. to action, right? Okay. So through that kind of and, and, and the focus would not be on the technical details of the process because they won't care and they won't understand it anyways. The focus would be on the outcomes that can be achieved through the process. And once yeah. they're sold on the outcomes, then calling you becomes kind of a no brainer. Okay. And there's other things you could do on the webinar, but I think having some kind of a presentation where they can hear from you. Um, and it's and it's on demand, ideally, right? So doing live webinars is great, but for this kind of thing, you know, ideally it's evergreen and it's on demand. And whenever they're ready to jump on, there's there's a there's a session playing right then and there. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. And then and then having some kind of a conversion offer at the bottom of the funnel, right? So this could be, you know, it initially could be as simple as let's hop on a conversation, like you know, fifteen minute phone call, thirty minute phone call, and and you know. We'll let you know if it's worth a deeper explore, exploration on on the topic of data, right? So if you're not sure if you know it makes sense to go through a, a, a data and analytics process like we offer, let's hop on the phone, talk about your business, tell us about what you know, what kind of data you have, and 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 what you're struggling with, and we'll let you know if it's worth a deeper conversation. If it's not, no worries, right? Yeah. But if it is, we'll tell you what that looks like, and then have like your clear steps to to go from that that stage to an engagement laid out for them, so they know they know what it looks like. Um, you could get fancier with the conversion offer. I think initially at this stage, it probably doesn't make sense to just keep it very open ended because your goal is to have conversations and and you want to kind of remove any obstacles to the conversation as much as possible. Yeah. So I have a couple more things, but just at that level, how does that sound? Yeah, that's nicely laid out um, the uh, the steps and actually some of the stuff we've done um, sort of lends itself quite well. So we have, a, as an example, we have a white paper um, sort of so that that sort of first part of that attraction and we, we want to make more of it. And actually, this is a really nice set of steps about how we can make more of it um, targeted at a nice specific role, the CMO. Um, and then that's not a, a nice sort of wrap up you give there on on how, on the content of the the the, the webinar and also like the you know don't call it a webinar necessarily something like an exact brief um and then how to follow up off the back of that I sort of like that as a, a set of steps to move through the funnel yeah and i think the key here is the sequence of ideas right so the webinar has got to or the white paper rather has got to be really really specific so it can't be um the cmo's guide to data analytics well nobody wants that <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. it's got to be the cmo's guide to improving customer retention or improving brand engagement and loyalty or whatever it may be, right? And you're using data as a tool to achieve that business outcome. And you're walking them through how to do that. And then the webinar then just takes it to the next level. Um, and and I think you have to kind of differentiate the webinar from, from the white paper. It can't be the same. Um, yeah. And it's got to kind of help them take the next step. Not everyone will be ready for the next step or be interested, but for those who are, it's got to take them to the next step. And you got to keep in mind the, the webinar's goal is to get the phone call. That's yeah. all, right? You're not trying to sell anything. You're not trying to even necessarily educate. You're trying to get the phone call. So you want to get them to the point where they see the opportunity and they understand that they can't do this on their own and they've got to call you, right? Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to mention is I sound like a broken record because I've been I've been I've been advising people to do this a lot, um, but I think it just makes good sense. So I'm not going to stop <laughs> is, uh -huh. is is to start a podcast. Yeah, uh, the, the podcast, I think, is helpful in a, in, a, in a few really important ways. First of all, it's a faster path to a conversation with a buyer. Okay. Right. So in your case, I was I mean, you could do something broader around around data. Um, and, you know, initially I was thinking maybe you talked to CDOs, but but given our conversation now, I think you should be talking to marketing leaders. You should be talking to CMOs. Right. So you do a podcast on data for CMOs. OK. And you go and, you know, I think a, a good way to seed this podcast is you maybe you talk to some of the people in your network right now, like your referral partners. Yeah. Uh, and and you and you get some episodes in the bank that way. You go and talk to some of your current clients to talk about the work that you're doing, and maybe you get to ten some odd episodes that way. But then you go out and you use the podcast 
not so much as an audience building tool, although I think that there's a benefit in that, but I'm thinking of it primarily as a prospecting tool. So you make your list of 100 organizations that you want to be selling to. Like these are your ideal, and maybe 100 is too much. Maybe for now you go, you know, 30 to 50 ideal clients, right? And you go reach out to the CMOs and you say, look, I'm doing this. We've got this podcast on on how CMOs can extract uh, customer insights from data. Um, given your role in the industry and your experience, we'd love to hear your thoughts and see what see what you're up to and what you're doing, what some of the challenges are. Um, and I think that's, you know, all things considered, that's going to get you a better, uh, a better conversion rate on the conversation than, um, Hey, we do data. Can we help you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, everyone loves to talk about themselves. That's a fact, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I've seen that firsthand with this podcast and it's good. It gives them, it gives them an opportunity to toot their own horn, make themselves look good. Um, and share a piece of content on social media that elevates their personal brand. But then on your end, it, it makes them kind of open up to you and share, you know, share what they're doing, share what they're working on, share the, the opportunities and the challenges. And you get insights that you otherwise would, it would be very difficult to get those kinds of insights in a, in a sales conversation. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, of the really reasons like, that comes really like with that. that. Yeah. Really like, what, what's your thoughts on mixing that, mixing in with that, um, some uh, thought leadership? So that, uh, that is sort of a podcast talking to, um, a CMO that gets recorded and you can share and it's useful for lots of people around, but mixing that in with, you know, the, the five growth hacks or, or data growth hacks for a CMO or, you know, your own content that you might want to bring, I might want to bring to the table, or would you just kind of keep it at the lens that you've just talked about there? No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it comes down to time. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, I think you gotta be careful about your time from your end. I would focus your energies on building that kind of evergreen funnel, white paper or report to webinar, right? And and ideally do that for each business problem. So you start with one and maybe you say, well, we have three business problems that we solve or business outcomes that we achieve for CMOs, build one for each. And I really focus on that initially. And that, that'll take, you know, that'll take a year probably, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and if you ha- and then the podcast could become useful in that regard, right? Because a podcast could become kind of like an incubator of ideas, so as you're creating the content for these different funnels, you can share them first in the podcast and that helps you document the ideas. It helps you express them in the podcast and even get some feedback from people before they get packaged up into a white paper or a webinar or whatever it may be. Um, but I, I wouldn't want you to distract yourself and create new content for the podcast at the expense, at the expense of the funnel because the funnel here is, is more important for you and you can, you can get a lot of interest in the podcast just from interviews, which are much easier on you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Really good. And then, you know, with the podcast, it's again, it's it's, for me, this is a sales process. So you're having those conversations with ideal buyers and you're only making the offer to take the conversation further. If through the through the interview, you discover that there is an opportunity Um, and then you kind of make that turn and 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 make them that offer. And if they bite, they bite. Um, Even the ones that don't now know you, uh, they feel good about you. uh, They see you, most importantly, as a thought leader, uh, as a, you know, as a voice in the industry that should be heard. And, and that could generate some, some really interesting referrals as well. Great. Makes a lot of sense. That's what I got. Well, if that's all you got, that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what, what do you think though? I mean, this is, it all sounds good, but what, what are some of the challenges you think in, in executing this? Um, you usually the time. So, um, you know, we, I'm very conscious of keeping, um, particularly mine and my leadership team's hand in the client work. Um, you know, we, we are the ones that have done this. We've got the experience. We, you know, we are providing the strategy uh, for our clients as well as trying to build a business and typically, um, you know, billable work and client work and driving outcomes for our existing customers is sort of priority day to day. Um, so this is the, so time, time is, is usually the thing that sort of, um, uh, gets in the way of, of not starting, but doing it consistently, like getting, you know, you can get things off the ground, but keeping them going. So, um, I think bandwidth is, is the sort of the prime, um, challenge yeah. for, for, for focusing on that. 
So I would really encourage you to focus in on the funnel first. I think the podcast is a great idea, but I don't think it should be your first step. I think build that funnel, choose that one business outcome that you want to start with. And however you make that decision, whether it's maybe you have some existing content on the topic that you can easily repurpose, that makes sense. Or if it's a particular business outcome that you, you would like to focus on now, however you make that decision, pick one, develop the white paper and, and keep it simple. Right? It doesn't need to be a 50-page white paper because it probably won't get read anyways, right? Uh, something simple that's easy to digest, easy to consume. I mean, in the in, in the marketing parlance, they call it a lead magnet, right? Um, but in your case, I think a lead magnet can't be a it can't be as simple as a you know a three to five page report. It's got to have some teeth to it that really yeah. helps you you know d- articulate your expertise and your authority in the space. Uh, but that said, keep it simple. Don't don't go too long. Get something out there because you can always refine it and add more to it later, right? You can do a version one and do version two and three later on. Um, and then as soon as you're done that, build the webinar. And again, keep that simple. So as much as you can, you can leverage insights from the white paper, but present them in an actionable way on the webinar, the better. So ideally, you're not creating new content. You're repackaging and repurposing and presenting in a certain way on the webinar. And it's only for people that are really interested in taking the next step. If they're not interested, if they don't have that desire that you mentioned earlier, you don't want them on the webinar. Yeah. Right. And, and so build out that funnel as fast as possible. And then once you've done that for one business outcome, and I, you know, I, I push you to try to get that done within two, three months, um, then, then you have a decision to make. Either you do that again for another business problem or you, uh, or you work on something like the podcast. And, and that's, that's a decision to be made. Yeah. yeah. But then once you, once you have the funnel also, one other thing I'll mention is once you have that funnel in place, then you can start doing some active outreach outside of the podcast idea to CMOs on LinkedIn. Yeah. Right. You start sending connection requests to CMOs, building relationships with them. And now you've got a couple of really powerful pieces of content to help, you know, to help engage them. Yep. Sounds great. So that's, that's a lot to chew on, Jason. Any other questions? No, that's been given loads to think about and uh, focused, um, focused attention a little bit. So that's been really useful. Really, really useful. Good. I hope I didn't overwhhelm you. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm normally the one giving the advice, so receiving the advice is quite nice for a change. Good stuff. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time, Ahmed. Thank you. Catch you soon. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, Go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.